Robots Radio presents... Welcome to the Outer World Show, sharing the latest news, interesting tips, and hidden lore about the Outer Worlds. I'm your board-approved host, Sebastian Azaro, and Spacers, I hope you brought a legal loophole, because today we're enacting the Hazard Clause and learning everything we can about Stellar Bay. So let's blast off and get right into it. Hey there, Spacers. Welcome back to another episode of The Outer World Show. Today, we're looking at a a different idea. The idea of how much past traumatic events can shape you. Now, I want you to think back. I want you to think back to something traumatic in your life and think about how long you carried that event with you. How long do you let it affect your decision-making each and every day? Do you cope with it? Do you suppress it? Do you make it a part of your identity, who you are now in the present? Now take that, take that idea, take that traumatic event, and think about what happens when your whole community is faced with something like this. As a group, you can learn and grow and cope with one another. You can rely on one another as a support system. You are now bonded to these people through this experience, or it can lead to isolation could lead to fear. You could all crumble together just because of this one event. The identity of an entire group, an entire city, can change in the blink of an eye because of one simple thing. Today we've come upon Stellar Bay in our tour of the Monarch locations. Now, this location was chosen by our Twitter followers, and I'm glad they chose this one because Stellar Bay and its history is so key to the rest of Monarch that it only makes sense that we cover it this early on. As we know from Game Story alone, Stellar Bay was just like any other company town, just like Edgewater or Cascadia at the beginning, only this time it's owned by Monarch Stellar Industries, MSI. The town had walls, it was company owned and operated, and everybody who worked for the company lived in the town and survived because of the efforts that the company put forth to them. Now, when I say everybody who worked for the company, obviously I don't mean executives. That's not what that means here in the Halcyon colony. But the executives of Monarch Stellar lived in an area called Amber Heights. Now, we'll go into Amber Heights in detail. We'll do a whole episode on Amber Heights. We don't need to follow the history in detail in this episode. But we do need to know that everything changed for Stellar Bay after an event called the Amber Heights Massacre. That's their traumatic event. That's the linchpin here. And you can see that in the game, in how the people act, how they think, what they're worried about, what they want to talk about. The Amber Heights Massacre is still so present in Stellar Bay in the current game time that you can't avoid it. Now quickly, the Amber Heights Massacre was when the gates to the Amber Heights compound where all of the MSI executives lived were opened and marauders got in and literally killed every single person in the compound, leaving MSI leaderless and having a monumental impact on all of its employees as to the dangers of the wilds of Monarch. Remember, it's Terra 1 at this point. It is not Monarch. 
other companies are still here. The board is still here at this point, although not for, not for long. So after this event, people are just convinced that marauders are going to break in and kill them no matter where they live. The fear of the wilds of Terra One are now buried deep in the core of everybody's belief system in Stellar Bay. Now, I said that the board is here, but not for long, because very shortly after the Amber Heights massacre, the hazard clause is invoked, and the board and all the other corporations leave Terra One for Terra Two, abandoning Terra One. Now, Monarch Stellar is leaderless, remember, so it is up to the highest-ranking officials, who happens to be Sanjar Nandi and his cohorts, his like inner circle, which includes Graham Bryant and Hiram Blythe. They have to figure out how they're going to evacuate everyone in accordance with the hazard clause. But, and this is a big but, Sanjar and Graham, and Hiram to a lesser extent, are all of a different mindset when it comes to employment and comes to workers' rights. Each for their own separate reasons, sure, but at the end of the day, they all believe that workers should have more rights than the board allows. So they look at this hazard clause, and Hiram actually finds a legal loophole to take over the entirety of Terra One once the other corporations abandon it. As long as Monarch Stellar are still headquartered and still located on Terra One, when all the other corporations leave, Terra One firmly belongs to Monarch Stellar. And this group, this inner circle, thinks that's fantastic because then they can instill these workers' rights and see the effects of it. They can actually put their theories to the test, which they wouldn't be able to do necessarily if they went to Terra 2 with the rest of the board. So that's exactly what happens. Monarch Stellar stays, the rest of the board leaves for Terra 2, and Stellar Bay is the new capital of the moon, and it's renamed Monarch. It's not Terra 1 anymore, it's now Monarch. After that, things immediately fall apart. And they do so in two ways. The first is that MSI gets kicked off the board. The board ostracizes and criminalizes Monarch Stellar and any trade with the company. So now the employees are not only leaderless, now they have, they have Sanjar, they have the inner circle that they're looking to, but their leaders that they're used to are all gone. They were massacred. And now they're cut off from every other board corporation. So they are literally physically isolated on Monarch, but also socially isolated because there is no trade between this settlement of Stellar Bay and any other planet, any other corporation. They are on their own. And that feeling of isolation in the wilds of Monarch just permeates throughout the entire story of Stellar Bay. They are on their own. They are fearful of the wilds. They are trying to handle it the best they can. And by the time you get there in the game, they're at their wit's end. They can't do it anymore. The other thing that immediately falls apart as soon as Stellar Bay is named the capital and Monarch is named is that Sanjar and Graham Bryant have a blowout and Graham leaves and starts the Iconoclasts. Now, again, when we do our Amber Heights episode, we'll get into the history of the Iconoclasts and Amber Heights and their entire location. But the, the gist of it is that Sanjar wants to work within the corporate model. He believes that giving employees rights makes for better employees. It's a means to an end, and that end being productivity. Where Graham actually believes in employees' rights in the way that we think of them today and wants to give them actual freedom and choice outside of corporate control, regardless of what corporation it is, regardless if it's a board-approved corporation or not. 
So the difference there is key and also leads to the downfall or the separation at least of Monarch Stellar into Monarch Stellar Industries under Sanjar and the Iconoclasts under Graham. So you're getting a better picture of why 10 years later, 10 years after the fact, people are still talking about the Amber Heights Massacre. It was the icing on the cake that led to the Hazard Clause. It ended up putting Sanjar in charge and led to these two huge results of MSI getting kicked off the board and the formation of the Iconoclasts. The Amber Heights Massacre was the beginning of the end in Stellar Bay and therefore is always on the forefront of their mind, is always being brought up to you in conversation. It's something that the people haven't coped with or haven't been able to um, confront because they haven't really been giving a chance. In the game, you see that isolation. You see that like fear from every citizen you meet. And you also now get an understanding of why Sanjar is so determined to get back in the board's good graces, or at least get on the board somehow, whether that's through bribery or through favoritism. Somehow, he's going to get MSI back on the board and back into the trade routes and to determine the survivability, the future of Stellar Bay, to ensure that that's going to keep going, that those ideas that he had will continue and won't just die here in the wastes of Monarch. He sees the board as the way to get there because without them, there's no trade. There's nothing. In the game, you also see the potential of what Stellar Bay could have been if none of this had happened. There are large swaths of ruins north and south of the town walls, which include houses, offices, and OSI temple. There was a huge city here at one point, and now all of that is going to ruin because of this isolation. There's also rubble in the streets. People continuously warn you not to leave the city, or else you're also going to become the Mana Queen's next meal. A large chunk of the budget is going each year to the maintaining these city walls, and you get the impression that the city just can't keep up. They're one bad break away from totally failing. And that's where you come in, as the stranger. Into that whole mess, you get to decide what happens to Stellar Bay. Whether the Amber Heights Massacre will be the defining moment that ruins MSI and crushes Stellar Bay. Or you can provide the renaissance. You can be that motor, that jumpstart they needed. That one break that the universe gives them that allows them to make that comeback. Given the history, it makes your role as a stranger that much more important. It makes every choice you decide that much more meaty, that much given that much more weight. So think through what you choose when you get to Stellar Bay. Now, let's go through the city as we see it when we first arrive as the stranger. There's a lot going on, so we're going to go kind of location by location. We'll start with the MSI building, the headquarters of the capital. That's where you meet Sanjar and his assistant Celia. Nothing really out of the ordinary here. Sanjar is still the head of the company. He's trying to get back on the board in order to save the city as we just discussed. And everything's still by the numbers. Sanjar doesn't fully understand what marketing is or how to speak to consumers from a non-analytical impact. He's pitching slogans like, MSI, our profit margins are stellar. Or Stellar Bay, a tolerable center of commerce in a hostile and chaotic galaxy. Which is a little better, I guess, but man, those are pretty garbage. He needs somebody to kind of give him that creative spirit, which my impression is was Graham Bryant. 
He was the creative side. He was the idea guy. He was the idealistic guy. Whereas Sanjar is the numbers and just crunches and it can really dig into the books and the numbers and the profitability and, and save a company from that aspect. But you need customers at the end of the day and nobody wants to hear about your profit margins, especially not in Halcyon. Now, Celia, Sanjar's assistant, is good at her job, but she's a little preoccupied with the shopkeeper, Sebastian. Psh, awesome name, by the way. So she's also there, chimes in when appropriate, but they are doing the best they can to keep Stellar Bay afloat at this time. And you know what? As, as troubled as the city is, as dire as the situation is, the warehouse and shipping center is still up and running, the Saltuna factory. Velma Bollard is the manager there. And due to the stress and her surly attitude, she has a, uh, a pretty bad reputation with the employees there. Honestly, can you blame her? Like, if you meet her in the game, you understand what I'm talking about. She is blunt. She is not a happy camper. But she's dealing with a striking auto loaders who you can find if you go to the Yacht Club bar. They're on the top four. She also has one of her best employees missing, whose name's Braxton, who we find out during the game was unfortunately eaten by cannibals in the southern ruins of town. So I, you can't really blame her for being stressed out and not being happy-go-lucky at the time like this. I mean, she doesn't even know about the dead sublight contractor hidden behind some boxes on her loading dock. So she's not having a great time. She is on the front lines of the Stellar Bay collapse or imminent collapse, and she is feeling it the hardest. It's that middle management role that is getting, that we see in everyday life, that is getting the brunt of it from both ends, from Sanjar above her and from the employees below. She's trying to balance both, and it's becoming an impossible task at this point. And unfortunately, this led to her siphoning off some of the cash coming in into her own personal accounts. You can find that out on her terminal upstairs and you can confront her about it. But you know, honestly, like, I can't blame her very much. She's seeing a sinking ship. She's right there. She doesn't know what Sanjar's plan is, mainly because he doesn't have one until you come along as the stranger. And she's just trying to get hers. So <laughs> I uh, maybe that's wrong of me, but I can't blame Velma here for kind of taking care of herself when she sees the writing on the wall as far as Stellar Bay goes. But as bad as that is, that's not even half of the issues that are going on in town. I mean, the apartment building alone is full of them. You have Celia's apartment full of monster guts that she keeps buying from Sebastian, uh, trying to impress him, which are literally dripping through the floor onto the apartment below. You have Braxton, the delivery man coming home late at night, or all hours of the night, I guess, and now missing and eaten by cannibals, as we find out. And we have a man named Isaac who is dead, who is straight up murdered in the apartment complex due to toss ball debts. And then on top of all of that, you have the local doctor killed because he was trying various experiments, uh, mixing different medicines, trying to find what he called greater realities and a glimpse at the eternal. So you have the local doctor dead. You have violent crime increasing in people's homes. And you have a warehouse where it's seeing some serious employment issues, even though MSI's entire thing, their entire mission is to take care of the employees. We have them being killed. We have them on strike. Things are falling apart at the seams in Stellar Bay when the stranger shows up. And again, you're the only one as the stranger who can stop this. It makes so much sense why Sanjar reaches out to you and is so desperate to, for you to help him get back on the board's good graces. 
Because he sees all of this. He sees what Stellar Bay is becoming. And he knows that that as bad as the board is and as shitty of an option it is to go back and side with them, it's the only option left for Stellar Bay. I'm Sebastian Azaro, and I'm inviting you to the Hidden Pixels podcast, a show exploring those gaming stories you might have missed on your first playthrough, whether it's a side character's dark past or a small piece of information that changes the entire fictional universe, I'd like to share with story lovers and gamers alike. From Nintendo to Bethesda to your favorite indie games, we're looking at all different types of series to find these hidden stories. So join us every two weeks on the Hidden Pixels podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or any other podcatcher. I can't wait to share these stories with you. Thanks. Before we get into my playthrough in The Stranger of the Week, let me just share a few things I found in Stellar Bay during my research that I want you to look out for. They don't quite fit in with the narrative, the story of the first half of the episode, but I still felt the need to pass them on, so here they are. In the Yacht Club, look for Nioka's bar saying bingo. That's hilarious. Check that out. That's a great little data pad you'll find near the bathrooms. The left field tossball bedding building is super interesting. It's something I missed my first playthrough. I went in and did the mission and ran out. It has so many details about the sport. I mean, just watch the TVs for a while if you haven't already, and you'll get so much life and get the sport really fleshed out for you a little bit. It's really interesting if you're into sports at all or just want to see those story details. There's a secret area behind the closed-up constable's office in one of the corners of the map that has a plasma carbine if you want it. You have to go up a ladder, cross a roof, and go down a ladder. But it's there. It's uh, the only way to get into that area. So check that out. If you're doing a board run and you meet Everett Gill in Raymond's uh, restaurant, bring Nyoka with you. She has some amazing dialogue with him. It's The back and forth between those two is fantastic. So check that out. Uh, if you want it, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a top hat that people have been showing a lot online. It's called A Nice Hat. <laughs> and that's in the OSI temple in the Southern Ruins. It's on the very far back wall. So go check that out. I, it took me a while to find that one. I was seeing it online and I was like, oh, I wonder where that is. And then I finally found the temple and found out. So if you're looking for that, that's where it is. And lastly, and the most important thing you got to do is read Abigail Edwards' entries in the health clinic's terminal on the second floor. Do it. I'm not ruining it for you. I'm not going to say what it is. Just do it. Just read through it. It's amazing. <laughs> so check that out. It's not the best choice. It's Spencer's choice. Okay, on to my playthrough with Captain Rummy, in which we haven't even made it to Monarch yet. If you remember last time, we just finished up Groundbreaker and the majority of the missions there, and we're looking for some credits to buy Udon's board seal from Gladys. So the best way to get credits is to do missions. 
So we headed off to Scylla for the first time, which ended up being a total surprise. I mean, the Groundbreakers health supply delivery man was there. And then arriving, I like didn't expect something like this in this game. It was beautiful in its own way with that dome protective force field coming down. It may seem barren at first glance, but it's not. It's filled with so many things. It's crazy how they pack so much into that small asteroid. So we looked for the Groundbreakers health supply delivery guy. We had that hilarious exchange with him. And then afterwards, we went to the other side of the map and we found the Mandible Rearranger, which I was so excited about because I was looking forward to that from the beginning of the game uh, since before the game even came out. So I ended up using it a little bit, but actually my science skill or Captain Rummy's science skill isn't very high. So I never ended up actually using it to its full extent. I had to put it away after a while, but damn, that's a fun weapon to play with. After Scylla, we headed to Roseway because Gladys told us that she'd pay us some money for any dirt we could dig up there. And we found a ton of dirt. We found so much research while exploring. We met the good doctor Anton Crane and decided to find his research and protege. We said we'd do him a solid. And since we're doing a board approved run, we had no issues with the guards in the secret lab who were in that foyer area. They told us where to go. They just let us right in. I don't know if you fight them if you're not doing a board approved run or even if you go here. I need to really finish up that second playthrough. We ended up killing the head of the outlaws or whoever that group is in the lab. And while we really wanted to give the research to Crane, we ended up bringing everything we had back to Gladys instead because we need those bits. We also found Sam on the ship and grabbed his part while in Roseway and then welcomed him to the team, which was perfect timing because soon after this, I developed robophobia and I would have been locked out from getting him. So I'm really glad I got him before then. From there, it was straight to Groundbreaker where I cashed in all of the research with Gladys, got the seal for Udon, and together we notified the board of Phineas's whereabouts. Because of this, I am quickly becoming, or Captain Rummy is quickly becoming, the board's poster child, and the second-in-command, Adjutant Sophia Akande, wants to see us in Byzantium. Let's go. Actually, no, let's not go. That's where we're going to leave Captain Rummy for now, and we'll pick up next time with him. Next is the Stranger of the Week, and this time... It's from our Twitter follower at the underscore unreliable, which great name. Obviously, that's fantastic. We have Captain Hawthorne. Oh, Captain Daniel Hawthorne, owner of a fancy pink and blue Rizzo's armor, has a silver tongue and title as Felix's best friend. He's Felix's best friend, everybody. No one else's. Just want to make that clear. We'll tweet how to pick so everybody can take a look at this stranger Captain Hawthorne. Thanks for sending him in. And as for show notes, we have a bunch of new iTunes reviews. Thank you so much for reviewing the show, everybody. It means so much. And it's going to get the show that much more attention and just continue these conversations with a bigger audience. So if you haven't reviewed the show, keep them coming in. As for these guys who did review the show, thank you. And here we go. First one is from MaddieO8907. This is a long one. MaddieO writes, out of this world, five stars. It's clear that Sebastian Nazaro cares a lot about his work. The way that he carefully crafts up different ways to explain this game, as if he himself was creating the story from scratch, is masterful. I'm not one to usually enjoy stories in games, big PvP player that just cares about beating other players, but he makes me question whether I should start caring about stories. 
I'm not sure I'm quite there yet, <laughs> but with each passing episode, I get, I, I get closer. I'm currently on my first playthrough of the game, and I'm already getting attached to my old man Norman character I created. You're going to have to share that with us, Mattio8907. If it wasn't for his show, I don't think I would have cared at all to even download the game. If you want to know a little about this game before jumping in, this is the podcast for you. If you are a fan already, you'll definitely enjoy the content. Remember, it's not the best choice to listen to this podcast. It's Spacer's choice. <laughs> well, thank you for sending that in, Matty. Thank you for the kind words. Uh, and I'm glad that I got you to play. I mean, the more people playing this game, the better, I think. I think everybody should experience this awesome story, even if you don't care about story games. The next review we got is from Owning Your Okayness, the best Outer Worlds lore cast, five stars. Really impressed with how much one man can do. The host, Sebastian Azaro, has done such a good job diving deeper into the world of Outer Worlds. The show explores news, deeper lore, and details of the game, and updates on his current playthrough. The bits of content makes it super easy to listen to, and I'm gripped each week. He's done such a great job building the hype and has made my own playthrough even more fun, having a deeper understanding of the locations and the relationships with the NPCs. It's been a lot of fun to follow week to week. Well, thanks, Owning Your Okayness. I mean, it's been really fun making week to week, and I can't wait to dig into these other locations and give you guys a little more detail as to what's going on while you're playing through the game. Next up, we have Townsend Vol, which literally sounds like the best Mass Effect character known to man. Townsend Vol is on my team in the Normandy, and we're going to take down the Reapers. Townsend Vol writes, well done. Five stars. Podcast is well done. Host is well-spoken, passionate, and does his best to bring good content to the listener. You know, that's what I'm trying to do, Townsend. That's what I'm trying to do. Bring you guys good content and make sure you're just informed and know what's going on and a little entertained along the way. So thanks. And the last one for today is from the Nintendo Podcast. They say, can't get enough five stars. Dirk from the Nintendo Podcast. We love you. Great show. And looking forward for more. Keep it up. Swing that three-bladed thing around for me. Smiley face, can't wait till this is on the Switch. Keep us in the loop on that. Another smiley face. <laughs> many, many thanks from me and Sulior. Durka. And <laughs> you might not know, uh, Durka and Sulior, they do a Nintendo podcast called the Nintendo Podcast, which I was on um, this past week talking about Outer Worlds and Pokemon and a bunch of other stuff. Those are really good guys. Check out their podcast. Thank you guys for the review. It means a lot to me. And your show's awesome as well. So I can't wait to talk to you guys about Outer Worlds coming out on Switch. It's going to be awesome. Spring 2020. Be ready, people. And that's all we got for today's episode. Again, thank you all so much for listening to the show. It means the world to me. It means the outer worlds to me. We'll continue on our path around Monarch. We'll keep getting you the info that you want. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next time. This has been an episode of The Outer World Show a part of the Robots Radio Podcast Network. All music and sounds are property of Obsidian Entertainment and or Private Division, and no copyright infringement is intended. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review. We're on every major podcast streaming service, including anchor.fm slash outerworlds. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.
You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net. Hey friends, this is Robots, the creator of the Robots Radio podcast network and host of the two original shows on the network, the Fallout Lorecast and the Elder Scrolls Lorecast. These two shows have rocketed up the iTunes charts. They both together have over 155 star reviews in only a couple of months with bite-sized episodes that take you step-by-step through the background of the games and the game worlds. They're thought-provoking, well-produced, and a lot of fun. I recommend you go check them out at robotsradio.net or on any podcast reader podcatcher whatever you use itunes spotify again that's the fallout lorecast and the elder scrolls lorecast available everywhere